Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Let's open uh, our time together in a word in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word and we continue our discussion this morning on faith, And living by faith, Lord, that uh, we might uh, learn more about this and uh, continue to walk as people of faith. We love you. We thank you for your goodness to us and the opportunity now to just look into your word. Bless this time. Bless our young people as they meet, our children, our early childhood as they meet as well. In Christ's name, amen. These next several weeks, we are going to be uh, focusing on some different themes that are from our daily Bible reading from the... Uh, New Testament, and if you'd like to follow along, there are the guides in the uh, back. They're yellow, and they're in the back of the narthex. You can take them home. It's one chapter a day, Monday through Friday. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, you can use to catch up if you get behind a little bit. And uh, this week, our, uh, our lesson is going to be on faith from the Gospel of Luke. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. And as you do so, let me put a, a picture up here on the uh, board. And let me ask you a question, since you're also uh, contemplating today. What is this man contemplating? What is this man thinking about? What do you think he is thinking about? This is a very famous painting by Rembrandt. And uh, this man that he painted is a biblical character, but he, of course, like so many of the Renaissance-type paintings are sort of dressed like that era. But uh, this is the man that Rembrandt painted, uh, the rich fool. What is he thinking about? What is this other guy thinking about? What's he thinking? You ever wonder what ravens think about? Or crows, kind of the same family? Um, What? Where's the next meal coming from, okay? That's the reason why you put lids on your garbage cans. And uh, Or when you go camping, uh, what is that the noise you hear usually about 4.30 in the morning or so uh, when you're in your tent? Uh, the crows out there. You ever wonder what these birds think about? You know, they, look, they look pretty contemplative. Um, you know, what, what, what goes on in their little brains there? And as they're looking around, what do these guys contemplate? What are they thinking about? Well, we're going to learn what we can today uh, from these two individuals because they're both in today's lesson. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, as Jesus is teaching, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, and He asked him really as rabbi, because this is what they would ask rabbis to do, to make these kind of decisions. That's why, you know, when you see in the Bible, we talk about reference to the lawyers. These are men who were experts in the Jewish law, the legal Jewish law. And they assumed he was an expert like that. And he said, Rabbi, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Someone probably has died. There's an inheritance left. And... The older son generally got a lot more than anybody else. And he says, but tell my brother to do his part. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator between you? And then notice what he says. And so Jesus, knowing everything, knew what the motivation of this man was when he asked this question. Because then he says, watch out. He says to everybody else, 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There's some key words in this lesson today. And obviously a key word here comes up right at the beginning. Jesus uses this lesson about the man who simply says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Now, some of you maybe have had the experience, and as, as pastor, I have walked into some of these situations with people too, and, and you may well know that sometimes an inheritance, money, can cause a lot of problems among family members. If that's not the case in your family, you've been through that, praise the Lord and be thankful for that. Because there are other people that it gets very difficult to point where people won't even talk to each other uh, sometimes when money is involved. And there's a situation here where Jesus knows what this man is really after, and he's connecting it with greed. And he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. You all remember probably, if you were around then, back in the 80s, that uh, bumper sticker that uh, was out that, you know, there was any number of sermons and illustrations about that said, he who what? Dies with the most toys, wins. Remember that? Some of you weren't old enough to remember that. It was kind of a, was a bumper sticker all of a sudden showed up. It's actually kind of interesting, uh, just looking on the internet just briefly, the earliest reference to that, because you can still, you can actually still buy that bumper sticker and you can buy t-shirts that say that if you want. He who dies with the most toys, wins. And, uh, there, I guess there was a Star Trek episode that was called, a famous one called The Most Toys or something. I, I didn't watch it, but, um, it, it actually, the first reference to that bumper sticker was a, a columnist here in Seattle who used it to reference a certain neighborhood in Seattle and said this would, this would go well with that neighborhood. So it kind of started here. He who dies with the most toys wins. And the Lord says, no, it, your life does not consist in all the things that you own. And so he goes on to tell them a parable. And this is the parable that Rembrandt painted in that picture. The ground of a certain rich man. I want you to ask yourself, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this man? The ground of a certain rich man produced a great crop, a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns, bigger ones. And then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, and be merry. And after he says this, God responds, and and we see God's attitude toward this. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. This is one of those parables that I I think is a cross-dispensational principle. There are parables and there are stories throughout the Bible that we can make application throughout the ages. And I I think the principle here, and I want to ask you, what's wrong with this man's plan? I mean, let's think about for a minute. Would you be against, or some of you, some of you are business people, some of you own businesses, or you work for someone who owns a business, uh, may even be a large business, like a, like a Boeing or a Microsoft, some of you are in construction, some of you are in financial trades, some of you are in service trades, restaurants, um, you know, di- different retail. You own a business. Your business does well. You're doing well enough to the point that you need a larger facility. 
You need maybe more employees to meet the demand. Um, so you choose to have a larger building to hire more employees. What's wrong with this man's thinking? What's wrong with this man's philosophy? He is doing what appears, appears to be reasonably good and reasonable business sense. He's successful. He looks at it. He's going to improve it. He's going to enlarge it. And he's going to grow his business. And yet the end result is that God, beyond critical, God says to him, tonight you're going to die. You're going to die. And then what's going to happen to all this stuff? Now notice that this lesson is connected with the word, the caution of greed. That's the background here. He he says, be on your guard against greed, the Lord says. Your life does not consist in abundance. And I want to tell you a parable. I want to tell you a story. A parable was was a story that that could have been true or couldn't have been true. It was a parable. But it was meant to illustrate a, a truth that God wanted the people to know, that Jesus wanted them to understand and to believe. And so he tells this parable, this story, what seems to be a fairly reasonable business plan. Now, as you read this story, I want you to notice where the where probably the fault is, is that I want you to notice those personal pronouns in uh, various voices here. Uh, let's let's count them. Let's go back to the story. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Verse seventeen. He thought to himself, "What sh- I'm, I'm counting my hand here. What shall I do?" I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Twelve times in that short passage, the emphasis is on what? There was a song written one time, I, me, mine. (laughs) I, me, and mine. The emphasis clearly in this story is on him. This is what I'm going to do for myself, for my plans. I have it figured out, and I take the credit, and it's all about me. Not once in that account, that parable, is there anything said about God, what God would have him do, what God means to him, what he can do to share with the abundance of what he has, how he can use it to bless others and be a part of God's work. God is not part of the equation at all. This parable is not intended to be a polemic against decent business practices. It's not a polemic against being a successful business person. It's not evil to make reasonable plans, to, to, to try to do the best. Sometimes those plans work out. Sometimes they don't. What it is, is a caution of me, I, and the things that are going to make me happy and make me secure in my future. For that's what he had decided. He was going to be secure. He was going to be dependent on himself And everything that he did, it it was all laid out for him. 
Not one mention of God, not one mention of others, not one mention of sharing, of doing good things with what God had blessed him with. And that night, God says, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because you're going to die tonight. And when you stand before me, without any of those things, who's going to have all those things that you left? You didn't, he didn't even think or talk about who he could bless with those things. It was all about him. And God says, you're a fool. Jesus said, you're a fool because you're leaving all that stuff for everybody else. You know, there was another bumper sticker that came out, of course, later on that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And then pretty soon there was one that said, you remember what it said? He who dies with the most toys. That wasn't that long ago, was it? <laughs> still dies. <laughs> yeah. He who dies with the most toys still dies. And, uh, and that's true. Now, we go to the second part. So that was Rembrandt's painting of that man sitting there thinking about in his Renaissance uh, clothes and so on, the biblical man thinking about what he's going to do and how he's going to be secure. And you notice in that painting the, the, the darkness around him. Uh, those artists were, were, were wonderful artists. And he put that darkness around him and that light on his stuff. But everything else around him is dark as he gazes at his stuff because he's going to die and it's going to be dark. Then, verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And we come to our second guy, what he thinks about, the raven. But I do want you to notice how connected these stories are. What connects them? What connects these two stories? Jesus says, consider the ravens. And you know what? Ravens were, were just as popular as crows are today. I mean, some of you maybe collect ravens. I, I don't know. You know? Uh, we have them in my neighborhood. And uh, they're a bit of a nuisance at times. Okay? And, uh, but, but they're part of God's creation and they're, they're part of the food chain and everything else and they have their place, but, uh, they can be a nuisance. And, uh, and, and they weren't really valuable in Jesus' day. They were not valuable birds. But he said, look at the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. And I want you to notice what connects these two stories. They have no storerooms or barns. What was that man gonna do? I'm gonna tear down my what? Barns and build bigger, bigger storerooms to store more stuff so I can be more successful, so I can take credit for it, so it can be all about me. And Jesus says, look at the ravens. Those ravens, what are they thinking about? Uh, Rich is right. They're thinking about the next meal. I mean, really, when you think about birds, you know, when, when the Lord talks about the sparrows that, that are here and gone, that God cares for them, and consider the birds of the air. What, 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 what do these birds do? What do birds do all day? You know, we got plenty of birds in our yard, in our neighborhood, down in, in Seattle. There's, there's birds in a beautiful day like this, and, and you'll hear them singing in and around. What are birds doing all day? You know, where do birds sleep at night? You ever watch them sleep? I know they have nests. We used to have, um, at one time we had some parakeets, and we had them in an old cage in our house, and you put a, you put a blanket over them at night, right? And you take the blanket off, and, you know, they were never laying down, you know, sleeping. <laughs> Take the blanket off. What are they doing? 
they're sitting there on their perch looking at you awake. You know, I mean, I assume they, they close their eyes or something and sleep. But, you know, what do birds do all day? Birds, birds are hardworking animals. What do they do? They spend, as far as I can tell, from what I've seen, and I'm not an expert on this, but it, birds, it seems to me, spend most of their time doing two things. Looking for food and watching out for predators. Uh, we were walking our, our little uh, white dog a few months back. We were walking along, it was dusk, and all of a sudden we um, something swooped down above, uh, above us. Teresa and I were walking right up from 79th and Dayton, swooped down right over our head, and we felt this fluttering and heard this fluttering, and all of a sudden we realized it was a bird and went right up and sat there on the, on the telephone wire. We thought it was a hawk. And, uh, and then he sat there watching us. It was an owl. I don't know if you saw in the papers, some of these owls have migrated around here that normally aren't around here. And it was a big owl. And you know what he was after, or she? wasn't after me or Teresa. It was after our dog. He came right down over the top of our dogs, only about this big, you know. It's, not, it's just a little old people's dog. That's what we are now, you know. <laughs> we always had big dogs, you know. And then we end up with this little dog that sleeps in our bed and all that kind of stuff, you know. And gets haircuts and this, you know. And uh, he, that owl was after that dog, and he thought better of it when he swooped down and realized we were there too, and thought better of it. And we, I walked back and looked, and that thing was just sitting up there, just watching us. It's kind of spooky, you know. And I never thought of it, but owls are raptors. Claw, you know, the rapture, that's where the word comes from. Snatch, that's where the word rapture comes from, to snatch away. These birds spend all day watching out for predators. And scrounging for food, and the crows and the ravens scrounging through the garbage, the garbage bags. I was, I had a rare opportunity with Ken Farman on on Friday. I told some people in our class we were down in Chicago, and we were just driving around and going to the airport that night. And there was a parking spot, and we stopped and pulled in the parking spot. We got out to walk around Wrigley Field just so we could say we saw it. People were leaving in droves because it was cold and windy, and the Cubs were getting beat bad. And it was about the fifth and half inning. And where's everybody going? It's like a Bears game in there, they said. And this guy's out there hawking tickets. We're getting desperate. So we bought a ticket for $5 and sat right behind the dugout. Wrigley Field. Pretty good, huh? And uh, just like Husky Stadium, toward the end of the game, here they come, the Seagulls, circling around. You ever notice that at Husky Stadium? About the, how do they know when it's the fourth quarter? They look at this. <laughs> they look at the scoreboard. I mean, it's uncanny. About ten minutes. Next time you're at Husky Stadium, you watch. About ten minutes to go in the game, they'll be circling around. Why? They're coming down to get the McDonald's, the food, the hot dog, the peanuts, the bags, the garbage. They're scavenger birds. And Jesus says, "Listen, think about it. Those ravens. They don't sow." They don't reap. They're not lazy. They work hard. That's what their life is about. Verse 25. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? What's he trying to tell us here? What is he suggesting? Is he suggesting... That it's wrong to, to build barns and to store? Is it wrong to plan for the future? Is it wrong to think about, you know, if it's, you know how you're going to retire, what you're going to do, how you're going to take care of your family? Are those things wrong? 
Is it bad? Is it evil to do those things? He uses this illustration of the birds who are very hard workers. They are not lazy. The Bible does, the Bible does not encourage laziness. And in fact, in the Bible, you read that work is a good thing. Work is a good thing. It's, it's, it's good to, to, to work. It's good to be responsible. It's good to be, you know, you know, around your house, your neighbor, your school, whatever you have to do to do it and to do it well. That's not a bad thing. Laziness is not encouraged to, to, to just not, you know, um, in this economy, and, and, and it's been very difficult for some to find work. And they, and they have a full-time job, and I know, and they work hard trying to find work. They are working hard. Trying to find work. They're not lazy. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. What is he saying here? What is the point of this? Well, there's a very important phrase here. And the, and the connection has to do between these two stories with the barns and the storerooms. And yet he says at the end of verse 24, yet God feeds them. God feeds the birds. But the birds don't just sit there and wait for God to drop food in their mouths. You ever seen a bird do that? Of course not. God feeds them. Sometimes he uses you to feed them. But ultimately, God is the one who's created this whole ecosystem. God is the one who's created them to eat. He has created grains. He has created other things to leave other food around, even for the scavenger animals and the scavenger birds and so forth. Uh, buzzards and so on that eat and vultures that will eat carcasses, others that eat grains and grasses, others that swoop down and, and pull up a fish. Isn't that amazing to watch and to think of those how those eagles and stuff can swoop down and take a fish? You know, how hard you work to catch a salmon. They swoop down there and pull it out of the water and, and take it away. God's created all this, but they work hard at it. But I want you to notice the key here. And it, this is something that some people wouldn't like to necessarily hear today, but it says, at the end of verse 24, how much more valuable you are than birds. This is the point here. The point, this is not against being wise in how you do things, making plans, working hard, even building new barns, building new warehouses, growing a business, growing your work. That's not what the point is. The point is, when all is said and done... God is the one who's going to take care of you. How he does it is going to be different for all of us. But he says, you are more valuable than the birds. As wonderful as the, and and, and as Christians, of all people, of all people, we teach and, and understand reasonable stewardship of our earth and resources. We are not uh, the, the people who are at the forefront of destroying earth and destroying resources. We as Christians of all people understand God created this. God put, God put Adam in the garden to take care of it, to till it, to, to be good to it, to take care of it. But we also understand, it clearly teaches in Genesis, of all of God's creation, men and women are the ones who are made in the image of God. There is something different. We have a moral conscience. We have a likeness to God. We have a social conscience, a personal likeness. We are made in the image of God. Last summer camp, for those young people that were there, Craig McDonald uh, spoke for the week on, on the image of God. We are different. We are unique. That, that the bird doesn't have a moral conscience about getting into your garbage can and destroying and throwing around your alley. 
it doesn't think, it, that's not part of his being or her being. If I went to did that to my neighbor, I would be struck with guilt, you know, making a mess of the alley, taking advantage of their stuff. I would be struck because I'm different. I'm in the image of God. You know, my dog, our little dog responds to discipline, but she doesn't really have a moral conscience. You know, when, when we're gone today, we make sure the doors are closed to a certain room because she has this obsession about going in there and finding the Star Wars figures that Jimmy collected and the grandkids play with. And we come home, if we leave them out, and there's Han Solo and R2-D2 and Chewbacca, and someone's missing a hand, someone's missing a leg. We got decapitated, um, you know, Star Wars. She's got this obsession with this. But she has no moral conscience about it. She knows when we come home and we hold it in front of her and say, what did you do? And she kind of hangs her head. But she's not asking for forgiveness. It's just, it's, it's, she's been disciplined. She's been, you know, she's been trained that you're not supposed to do that, but she'll do it anyway. And if we don't say anything, she didn't care. She's not going to ask forgiveness or confess about it. But we are different. And God says, listen, Jesus says, if God takes care of of these ravens who are not storing up for the future, but they're working hard, but ultimately it's not about them. They're not thinking about me, 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 me. If God takes care of them, then don't you think how much more He will take care of you? Work hard. Do what you can. Make plans. They might succeed. They may not succeed. They might be a failure. They might be wonderfully successful. You might be blessed with much. You might be blessed with little. The first century is the same way. When the early Christian church met and when the Apostle Paul wrote those letters to the Colossians and the Ephesians, there were some people who were wealthy enough to have a house big enough that the church could meet in. You had to have had money in the first century to have a house big enough to have a church gathering. The average person's house was very, very, very small. You could not gather in there. God provided those people who could do that. There were slaves and servants. The the, the point is, we look to God. The Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your what? Come on, say it. Let your request be made known unto God. And he will do what? Huh? He will be faithful. He will meet your needs. He will provide everything that you need. Be anxious for nothing. Last week we talked about faith and, and, and salvation faith. Coming to God through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ for salvation. And we are also told to live each day by faith. Do we really believe that God is going to take care of us? Do we really believe that God wants us to be anxious? Oh, that's so easy to say. It's so easy for me to stand here and preach it from this pulpit and say it to you. But it's not easy for me to do. You think I go home from here and I don't have anything to worry about? Other than Chewbacca missing an arm when I get home? (laughs) It's just as hard for me as it is for you, as hard for all of us as pastors and teachers to, to learn this principle, to walk by faith, to live by faith, to really believe that God is going to take care of us, to really believe that five years from now, ten years from now, however God wants me on this earth, that that it's going to be okay, he's going to take care, he's going to provide, he's going to make a way. What our choir is saying this morning, God will make a way. When there what? There seems to be no way. Be anxious for nothing. Jesus, in this context of, 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 of worry, 
Listen, look at this, look at this verse from Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sex, now look at the list here. This is a slam dunk. Sexual immorality. Check. Impurity or immorality. Check. Impurity. Check. Lust. No question. Evil desires. Desires. Excuse me. Evil desires. Check. And greed. Which is idolatry. Would you put greed in the same category as those other sins? Huh? If there was somebody in our, in our church family that was greedy, would we, would we ask the same from them as, as someone who is impure? Who obviously is lustful? The Apostle Paul in Colossians puts greed right in that list and says it's idolatry. It's idolatry. No. Instead, God has called us to be different and to live by faith. Consider the ravens. God takes care of them. They work hard. They're watching out for enemies. They build nests. I assume the crows build their nest high because I know on the ships there's the crow's nest and it's way up high. So I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know where the crows in my neighborhood live other than I know where the pigeons live on the top of my house. But the, but the crows, I assume, you know, they build nests. They have their young. They take care. They make plans. They go look for food. They bring the food home. They do all that stuff. But Jesus says, when all is said and done, they're not anxious about it. They do what they're led to do. Because God takes care of them. How much more you, oh you, oh us, oh me, Pastor Jim, of little faith. Don't you know you are more valuable than the crows to God and he will take care of you. What's the difference? Well, this passage concludes with also an illustration from the lilies of the field. That's another one. They don't have any conscience. There's no personality. And yet, look, think of all the work of nature that goes on for the lilies to grow. It's a lot of work. A lot of hard work. You couldn't have figured that out. Only God could do that. But he says they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. God dresses them. God takes care of them. And then we have this, this, this statement at the end of verse 30. He says, your father knows you need all this stuff. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. God knows. God provides. God takes care. And it's the Apostle James who really, I, I think, really helps us understand this. When we say, well, what's, what is Jesus getting at here? James, his brother, his half-brother, if you will, both sons of Joseph, physically, he was from Joseph and not from Mary, so they, Jesus really wasn't a blood because of the virgin birth, but they were brothers. They grew up together. James the Apostle says this, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. What's wrong with that? These are business people. They're traveling merchants. The fishermen were fishermen. They had successful businesses they were called from. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And that might seem kind of discouraging. But the truth of the matter is, in the light of all of human history, how long is your life and my life? 
Instead, here's the key. See, he doesn't say you shouldn't work, you shouldn't travel, you shouldn't make plans, you shouldn't sell goods, you shouldn't buy goods, you shouldn't do business, you shouldn't think ahead, you shouldn't think. No, he says instead you ought to say, and this sounds so trite, but this is the key. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And sometimes you might hear, I had an older friend in Minneapolis who was known for every time he said something, he said, Lord willing. Lord willing, I'll be there Sunday night. Lord willing, I'll be at breakfast Tuesday. Lord willing, I'm going to buy. And it sounds kind of trite, but you know what? That's how he lived. That, that just, that's what he meant, and he, he believed it. And it's not trite. And that's what James says. Listen, the, the difference, if, if the man who, who tore down his building and built big, if he'd have said this, if this had come out in that story, the, the man that Rembrandt painted, if all of a sudden it came to him as he's looking in there in the darkness around him and looking at these goods and making plans, if all of a sudden it done, what am, what am I thinking? It, this is up to God. I'll do the best I can. But if God's willing, then I will enjoy these things for the rest of my life. If that's not God's will, someone else will. I will bless. I will share with others. I will, I will be a good testimony. If it's God's will, then that's the difference. It's simple. That's the difference. If it's God's will, Teresa and I and Alex are leaving on Wednesday to fly to the Philippines, be a part of the ministry there to Indonesia. If it's God's will, that's my plan. We got the tickets. We'll be in, we'll be in Seoul, Korea, and then in Manila next Thursday night. If God wills, I don't know what's going to happen between now and then. And if God, for some reason, wills not, that's up to him. But we've made plans. We had to put the dates down. We had to get tickets. We had to start packing, or Teresa and Alex had to start packing. <laughs> I always pack about two hours before I go. So you pray about that. I don't forget anything. You, you know, you got to make plans. If it's God's will. And that's the difference, as simple as it is. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your life is in God's hands and the things he leads you to and the things he puts in front of you and to work hard, but at some point to say, if that's, what God, if that's God's desire, that's what's going to happen. And I'm, good, and I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I was thinking how to close this message. It, 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 seems, it seems so simple. I and mean, this is one of those things that is so simple to talk about, but so hard to do. Come on, let's be honest. I'm being honest with you. Anybody doubt that? I'm being honest with you. It's not easy to live by faith. It's not easy. It's not in my nature. My, my nature is, is to want to know exactly what, how, when, and, and to know that God's thinking the same way I'm thinking, you know. And that's my nature. It's my human nature. But it's what God says. Go ahead and make those plans. Go ahead and look ahead. Go ahead and take care of your family. Go ahead and make plans for your church. Go ahead and and do the things that God puts in front of you. But just understand, when all is said and done, where's where's your security? Because Jesus closes this story by saying, listen, store up treasure in heaven. Why? Why? For where your treasure is, that's where your what? Heart's going to be. That's where your heart's going to be. And if your treasure is all about your security, what God owes you, what you're entitled to, and not about what, what you are given to God with your life, 
and to put your treasure in heaven because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And in thinking about this service and how I'm going to close this service day, it just, it just seems kind of just to just stop and say that. It is interesting. Now, last, last Sunday, John Olberg handed me a newspaper that uh, came, they were down in San Antonio for Easter. And he said there's an article that Betty's nephew, Jay Toller, there was a good article about him in the paper. And he gave this, he gave this paper to me. And I was leaving Monday to go to Grand Rapids this week. And so I, I put it with my stuff. And this morning, kind of disconnected from all this, I remembered, you know, I never actually read that article because I left for Grand Rapids Monday. He gave it to me Sunday. And, you know, um, there's a hundred different places when I get something on Sunday between there and my house, there's a hundred different places I could have put it. I always find it, you know. Most of the time I find it, you know. That's why please don't ever give me your offering envelope and tell me, put, give it to the ushers, okay? I don't, I don't handle money in the first place, and that's the worst thing you could do. And, and, but also I thought about this this morning. I thought I never read that article. And I walked over to the drawer in our, our buffet, whatever, you know, and I don't know why I wouldn't normally put it in there, open it up, and there it was sitting right there. And I pulled it out and read it, and I thought, whoa, God wanted me to share this with the church this morning, because th- this, this says it all. This says it all. Jay, last time I saw Jay, was right there. He was standing right there sharing his mission work with our congregation on a Sunday night. I don't know if it was once or twice, Betty, we had him. I know he came and he, and he shared here. And, and so because of that, we've kind of kept up. And Lou Gehrig's disease didn't care that Jay Toller was a Christian missionary in Africa. He was working at the same mission school in Nigeria that he graduated from. Some of you are familiar with uh, Rift Valley Academy. It's a school like that in, in Nigeria where the Petersons were there in Joss. A six-foot-four toller used to hunt game with shotguns, race friends along dirt roads, and dunk basketballs. Today he re- he's reviewing models of motorized wheelchairs, the incurable, incurable fatal disease, more formally known as, it's a long, it's, but it's ALS, gradually destroys the central nervous system, causing muscle weakness and paralysis. It goes on to say that uh, the article was about a race they were having to to raise some funds for his medical care. And it says, as the runners finish, cross the finish line, the Toller family will be handing them a wristband with his favorite Bible verse, Romans 12.12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That family is being forced to live out that scripture. He'll be at the race. He was born a missionary in a missionary compound in southwestern Nigeria. At that time, around 30 Southern Baptist missionaries lived there. One side of the campus was a seminary, the other a hospital where his father was a general surgeon. Betty told us this morning that his father, who spent his life in the mission field as a surgeon, is not doing well right now, uh, very serious in his, his health. It goes on to talk about the, the things that they did together and collecting rainwater, things that were normal, you know, picking fruit. And then uh, he, he, he came, he left college. He worked two years at that Christian school in Africa that was there to service missionary kids. He returned, finished his degree, made plans, finished his degree in physical education, and worked at a private Christian school, got married in 1997. He and his wife were back at Hillcrest as the athletic director with SIM, and that's when he came and shared the ministry here, that the, the Christian school, that so the missionaries can do their work so the young people can go to school 
while the missionaries were there, and he was the, the, the uh, athletic director working in the field, also was crisis manager for the community of mission organizations there. In the summer of 2008, he was reading C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, and couldn't hold the book steady. Began to feel twitches across his body. Figured it was the stress of the rampant crime in that city, which is, is there, including tax on the missionary families. But in 2009, while on furlough in San Antonio, a series of tests and examinations brought the bad news. He never questioned why, although he can now relate to Job, he said, I understand this illness didn't come from God. He allowed it. Why? I can't say. I know God loves me and has a plan for me, and my job is to keep me, is to keep serving and glorifying him. He resisted offers to, for clinical trials. He wanted to go back to Africa. Betty would tell me, keep me informed about this, because I had met him, and he, he, he wanted to go back to Africa. And he even resisted the clinical trials, and, uh, but the, the funds weren't there. He was not able to go back. The article goes on to say that some, one day after, after uh, he agreed to a clinical trial, $25,000 came in from quiet donors out of the blue. He went back to Nigeria for a month, trained teachers, capped off the trip by praying with a man to become a Christian. He finds optimism that he's beaten the odds of survival. Most diagnosed at the time, the same time, have already died. Now, this is why I read this to you. Now, here's a man who who made plans, did what seemed reasonable, invested in school, went back to Africa, even with the diagnosis, was committed to going back to Africa. That's all he wanted to do was go back to Nigeria. That's all that mattered to him. But he's not able to. And it says this, and this, this concludes this lesson better than anything else I could say. Today he's ready when his time comes. Quote, this is what Jay says. When believers in Jesus Christ get to heaven, they're going to look back and say, my gosh, why were we so worried about holding on to things down there? I believe heaven is going to be unbelievable. That's it. That's it. You're holding on to it. Okay? But if God takes it away, whether it's your health or your stuff or your family, is that okay? It never was yours anyway. It's all a gift from God. He can do what He wants to do. Because he has a much better plan than you or I have. When believers in Jesus Christ get to heaven, they're going to look back and say, my gosh, why were we so worried about holding on to things down there? Gary, come and close the service. Stand together again. Um, sing, I need thee every hour. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, confirmation class tonight will meet at 445. I'm going to give you 15 more minutes to enjoy this beautiful weather. Then I'm going to really be hard on you. So come in at 445. If your friends aren't here, call and tell them. Well, yeah, but wait till the service is over. Let them know. Okay? Craig. Craig is going to come up and have a word of prayer. Uh, Alex, would you come on up here? And Teresa. 
Uh, we're going on uh, your behalf uh, to the mission field to serve. Um, we're getting reports from Ben Anderson. They're looking forward to having representatives from the United States be at the Southeast Asian Conference. And so Craig's going to have a word of uh, prayer uh, on your behalf as we uh, make God willing Wednesday to leave for the Philippines. Oh, here he goes. As Pastor Jim mentioned, they are going to be heading out for two weeks. Uh, itinerary right behind me, actually. And if you want to keep track of their trip, Alex said that he's going to be updating his website, which is right behind me there. And uh, the address is A.R. Pierce Consulting. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful that you have called Jim and Teresa and Alex to this trip. We're thankful for the opportunities that they're going to get to minister to the churches in Southeast Asia, uh, for the opportunities they're going to get to encourage pastors down there, to teach pastors, to share the gospel. And as they go, Lord, and as your, as your word goes forth through their obedience to your call, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, be at work, that you'd be at work in their hearts, that you'd be at work in the hearts of those that they're going to be with, that this would be a time that uh, believers will grow, that believers, that unbelievers will come to know Christ and that you would be glorified. Lord, we ask for your protection upon them. We ask for your blessing upon them. And Lord, we just pray that we as a congregation would be faithful to pray for them while they're gone. We pray all this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.